Woohoo! <laughs> Good to see you today here, and great to welcome all the other campuses that are part of this service. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I, I have known Mike for a long time. Uh, I have heard lots about uh, Christ Church, and I'm so thankful to be here with you today and to celebrate, to worship, and also to talk about something very dear to my heart and very, you know, even more dear to the heart of God. Uh, we get to talk about evangelism, outreach, uh, communicating good news in our lives to the people around us. Now, I suspect, having been lots of places, that when you hear the word evangelism, there are different kinds of responses that we have. There are some of you, maybe uh, a few, who get really excited. <laughs> Finally! We're talking about what we need to be talking about. We're moving ahead. I'm so glad for this series that we've been in. Evangelism, communicating good news, reaching people who are far from God. That's what it's all about. I'm so glad we're on the page and moving forward and after it. There's some more of you and maybe a larger group who have mixed feelings and maybe even negative feelings when we hear the word evangelism. We have associations and images. The guy down on the street corner, like preaching his heart out, but seeming like he's yelling at people and condemning people. And we think, boy, if that's evangelism, no thanks. I can't relate to that. I wouldn't want to be like that. I wouldn't want to do that. Or, Or maybe some of us think, Wow, Billy Graham. I work at the Wheaton College and at the Billy Graham Center. Billy Graham, what an amazing thing that is. But I could never be like that. That's not my gift. It's not my strength. As a matter of fact, when you say the word, I kind of feel either guilty or turned off. Or, and I'm not sure why. I, I know I shouldn't, but that's how I feel. So some of us have those kinds of negative associations, which is very ironic, because evangelism means good news, and communicating good news, which, if it's really good, ought to elicit happy feelings, anticipation, excitement. But for lots of us, it doesn't. For some of us, evangelism is, you know, You may be here for the first time. You might be visiting. You might not have a church background, and you might say, what is that? Or you might feel like, I've heard about that in the culture, and that doesn't sound so good to me. So today, what we want to do is take another pass at what that is, what outreach is, what evangelism is, and you've been doing it for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to really drill down into it today. We want to redefine evangelism as blessing people. Evangelism is being and communicating good news in ways that bless people. I want to suggest that definition has a lot of rooting in scripture. Whenever God wants to reach the world, which he always does, he chooses a person who forms a people who bless the world. Started with Adam and Eve, but it went to Abraham. Abraham said, go, leave your country, your people, go to the land I'll show you. I'm giving you a promised land, and I will bless you. And those who curse you, I will curse, and those who bless you, I will bless. And through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
That's been God's plan for reaching the world forever. Very interesting study was done not that long ago about Thai missionary organizations. Uh, Groups of people who were trying to reach Thai people, introduce them to Jesus. And in this group, uh, uh, there there were 12 organizations that were studied. One of the, six of the organizations were trying to convert people. That was their stated goal. They couldn't say it to the government. They would be kicked out. So they hid their stated goal, but that was their whole purpose for being there. And, another, and, and so in the study, they were called the converters. And then there were this other group of people, and their whole goal, uh, they certainly wanted people to know Jesus, but their primary goal was to start economic businesses in Thailand that would bless Thai people, employ Thai people, serve Thai economy, help people uh, make an impact and start businesses. And so the study called them the blessers. What wasn't a surprise is the blessers did more for Thai people, local economy, businesses than the converters. Well, after all, that was their goal. So that's not a big surprise. Maybe a little bit surprising was that the blessers actually converted more people than the converters. Here's the biggest surprise. The ratio was 48 to 1. Over the three-year period, the blessers saw about 98 people, Thai people, come to Christ and give their lives to Christ. And the converters saw two. What that tells us is the world is hungry to be blessed. Our neighbors are hungry to be blessed. And when they're blessed, they will respond. When they've been loved, they will want to hear our good news. When we've been good news in their lives then they'll want to hear why. And so we want to blow up the idea that evangelism is buttonholing people, you know, grabbing people by the collar, getting through and saying to people, hey, listen, I've got good news. You're a terrible person, but God forgives you. Which I think is some people's vision of what evangelism has to be. We've only done evangelism if we've told and convinced people how terrible they are so then they can receive God's forgiveness. And understandably, we're a little bit leery of that approach. And so most of us, many of us, feel like we don't do evangelism. But what I want to suggest today is, yes, we do, we can, and I want to encourage us to go out and be good news and share good news. To bless. Now, before I do that, I want to unpack a little underbrush. I want you to know people in the world who are unchurched can't wait to be blessed, many of them, if we're willing to be, be good news and then communicate good news. I think a lot of us feel like people out there who aren't in church don't want to hear it, will be offended, have no interest, and we're going to turn them off, lose the relationship if we try to invite them to Jesus or invite them to church. We just did a study of about 2,000 unchurched people around the country. It's representative, and uh, we found out some kind of interesting things. An unchurched person is a person who hasn't been to church in the last six months, 
except for a special event or, uh, you know, like a marriage or, or wedding, but they haven't attended a church service in the last six months. Turns out there's 150 million of them in our country. If you made a country of all the unchurched, it would be the ninth largest country on earth. And uh, of the unchurched, here's one of the interesting things about them. 50 million of the 150 million say they expect they will be attending church regularly in the future. They're not now, but they expect they will be. Every church in the nation could add about 1,000 people based on that 50 million. There's a huge field out there, and 50 million of them say they expect to be in church in the future. Not only that, but they're not nearly as closed as we think. They're much more curious and much more interested in our faith, especially when we've been good news and blessed them so we can share good news. Here are just a few quick uh, slides on that, and then I'm going to jump into the Scripture. So first, uh, my Christian friends talk about their faith too much. We asked unchurched people around the country, representatively, 22% of them says sure, one out of five. Turns out 73% say, no, they don't talk about their faith too much. I'm not tired of hearing about this. I'm not turned off by it. Three out of four of our friends are quite open to having us talk about our faith who, who aren't in church. Another slide, right? So if a friend of mine really values their faith, I don't mind them talking about it. Over three quarters of the people who are unchurched. And again, notice that. If you really value it, it really matters to you, then bring it on. A next slide. There are ways they tell us that are great to approach them. Half of the unchurched say, if a friend invites me to church, I would be likely to go. Half. One out of every two unchurched people. And if it's a family member, 55% of the unchurched say, I'd be likely to attend. So sharing our faith is much more welcome than we think. And this whole issue of people will be offended is actually not nearly as true as many of us think it is. Turns out 42% of the people in the country uh, who are unchurched think the church is beneficial to society. And only 6 percent think the church is harmful. Now that six percent has a loud voice. Some of them write in newspapers. Some of them go on television. Some of them write books about the God delusion. And we can get this idea that the offended anti-church, anti-Christian people are a much bigger group than we think. It's not. They're just a little noisy. And look at the persecution factor toward relational witness. So in the next slide, responses to the faith of Christian friends. 30% admire your faith, one out of three. Only one out of five think you talk too much about it. And only 1.5% say they give you a hard time about your faith. That's the persecution factor for relational witness. 1.5%. In other countries, right, what happens when you share your faith? It's a lot worse. 
My boss likes to say, I'm not nearly as blunt and rough-edged as he is. He says, 1.5%, come on, suck it up, buttercup. Take a risk. You're not likely to lose friends here. Maybe you'll lose one out of 100. Go for it. So a way to clear some of the underbrush. But now let's get to then bless. And uh, how we feel called to bless. A lot of us, when we think about evangelism, feel inadequate. We feel like we don't have the right answers. We don't have enough friends. We don't know the right words to say. And we struggle a lot with that sense of inadequacy and that paralyzes us. Here's good news. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is the feast that the Israelites celebrated to bring in the harvest. And Pentecost was when the Holy Spirit was poured out to form the church. It's recorded in Acts 2. And the really good news is the Holy Spirit is the primary evangelist. The Holy Spirit is the one who never ceases to give witness to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that's the main job of the Holy Spirit. That's the most important job, Scripture tells us in the Gospels and in another place, that the Holy Spirit does. Gives witness to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit completely loves to use very inadequate people to do that. As a matter of fact, our inadequacy is our best quality. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit really likes to give witness to Jesus through stumbling, bumbling, struggling, broken, wounded people. Because who gets the glory? God. And the amazing thing is God is at work in inadequate people to reach broken people all over the place. And all he's doing is inviting us to step into the stream of blessing that the Holy Spirit is sending out. And ministering. That's all evangelism is. Step into the stream of God's blessing for all the people around you. That's all God is inviting you to do. And so for our scripture, I want to look at, and by the way, what's interesting is that's how Jesus ministered. And Luke 4, when he's tempted, Luke tells us Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit was led by the Spirit in the desert to be tempted. And then in 4.14, when Jesus begins his ministry, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Jesus did what he did and ministered like he did. Certainly he's divine. But Philippians 2 tells us he emptied himself of his divine powers and became fully human. And he did evangelism just like we're called to. He stepped into the stream of God's blessing of the people around him. And he healed, and he ministered, and he proclaimed, and he was good news, and he communicated good news. And that's all he's asking us to do. And in Acts 8, we have a wonderful example of Philip doing that. And that's our scripture today. And I'm just going to walk through that kind of... Uh, probably a little more briefly than usual in Scripture because we, I really wanted to land on application today, but the Scripture is just full of this, and I, I want you to see that. You know, this is our revelation. This is our basis. And so in Luke 8, verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Philip was a, a, a Greek Jew, He'd gotten into leadership because the Hebrew Jews, who were all the initial apostles, weren't getting around to the Greek widows 
And there was a big conflict in the early church, so they, cho- they chose seven Greek Jews to serve the widows. And now Stephen was the first one. He was martyred shortly after, killed shortly after, proclaiming good news. And Philip was the second one that's mentioned in that list. So Philip goes south to the road. He heard from the angel, goes south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So I want to, and then Philip, let me finish this. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. I just want to unpack those few verses. And I want to unpack it in the context of blessing people. One of the things we've done is, and and Dave Ferguson, a fellow uh, pastor, kind of started this with a guy named Alan Hirsch, two people that sort of sat down and wrote this on a napkin, and now lots of churches are using the BLESS acronym as a way to talk about how you bless others. And the BLESS acronym, I think we have that on a slide, is begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together, serve in love, and story, share your story. And what we want to do is maybe blow up stereotypes of what you have about evangelism and replace this. As evangelism is stepping into the stream of how God is blessing people through prayer, listening, eating together, serving, and storying. Our story and God's story. That's what evangelism is. It's blessing others. And I want to talk about the first two. Begin with prayer and listen with care uh, today. And I think this passage gives you a wonderful example. Philip starts in his desire to bless people with good news. He starts with prayer. And he listens to God for who God is at work in. He looks around and he says, God, how are you at work? What are you doing? An angel. He gets an angel. Many of us won't get an angel, right? But we might get a nudge. We might see somebody and have a heart for them. We might have some compassion. One of the interesting things about these two characters, uh, these two uh, people in the, in the story, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, one of the interesting things is both of them had a sense in which they were marginalized in their context. Philip was a Greek Jew among Hebrew Jews, so he was second class. And the Ethiopian eunuch was a man who served the queen, and in order to serve the queen you had to be Uh, not a danger to the queen, so they took away your male equipment so that you wouldn't be a danger to the queen, right? And so he was second class among men. He may have had power, but both of them also knew what it was to feel second class. I don't think it's a surprise that God used Philip to reach the Ethiopian eunuch. God often uses our places of pain, struggle, hurt, woundedness, failure, and doubt to reach people to whom we can relate and who can relate to us. Whatever you've experienced, struggle in your marriage, struggle in your self-esteem, struggle with a disability, mental or physical, whatever it is that's happened in your life becomes the stuff God uses 
to give you compassion and avenues to be good news and bring good news. And I think that's no surprise that God used Philip to reach this Ethiopian eunuch. And, the, and Philip started with prayer, God, where are you at work? Open my eyes. And then he saw this, and I can imagine him sending up a prayer to God as God sends him over to this chariot. And he just started praying, Lord, whatever's there, help me to know what to do. And when he saw this man, Lord, bless this man. Help him to find good news. And then what's the second? So he begins with prayer, and then what's the second thing he does? He, He observes what the man is doing, and he asks him a question. And the question is, you know, do you understand what you're reading? He saw what he was doing. In other words, he saw where God was at work in his life, and he asked a question about that. He didn't come in telling. He didn't come in preaching. He didn't come in with a canned message. He just came in noticing what God was already doing in the man's life, and he asked a good question. Too often we think evangelism is primarily telling people things when in actuality it's primarily at the beginning listening to people and their story and building trust and then connecting to their story and then out of our lives and our pain sharing what God has done for us. That's evangelism. That's kind of all it takes. Begin with prayer and listen. That's how evangelism begins. And we see it here, and the story goes on. It's a powerful story. Uh, You know, the man reads a passage of Scripture. Uh, He he, uh, is led to uh, commit to Christ. He sees a pool of water by the side of the desert. He gets baptized. Then the Spirit, you know, just whisks Philip away somehow. We don't know how. And the Ethiopian eunuch goes on his way rejoicing to be a leader and influencer in the court of uh, Candace. And the gospel spreads. And the good news explodes. So some application. First, I just want to call us all to begin with prayer. You're going to get a card with eight names at the end of the service, or you have it, or some of you have seen it. Um, I I would say uh, that was a little tip-off for me about the church. Uh, I've not seen churches initially give eight names for people to pray for. Usually they start with three or five. Maybe this church has a few overachievers. I don't know. But what I would say is, praise God, that's great. Whether it's three, five, or eight, begin with prayer. But prayer is not just writing names down nor talking to God about those people, but it's also listening to God for those people. I went on a thing called Burning Man. I have a picture of that. Uh, And it taught me a lifestyle of this. I now practice this everywhere. There's the man. How how many of you have heard of Burning Man? Okay, about half. Used to be when I talked with churches. I started in 2010, took ministry teams to reach people. Used to be when I'd asked at a church like this, I'd get one or two hands. Now it was about half of you because it's really spread in the culture. Uh, You know, Obama, you know, was quoting about Burning Man. Lots of people are seeing it as a cultural movement, or at least symbolic of a cultural movement. It's a big arts and uh, self-expression festival in the desert of Nevada. Happens once a year over Labor Day for a week. Uh, It's both famous and notorious. Uh, There's probably some mind-expanding drug use there. Uh, 
clothing uh, uh, standards are kind of loose. Uh, some of you know what I'm saying, if you know Burning Man. Now, those parts of it are over, uh, overly emphasized, and actually, uh, it's got a lot of spiritual seekers. If you want to go to a place that's rich and ripe and full and productive with spiritual seekers, there's almost no place on earth that has more of them gathered at one time. And I remember walking around, and God was beginning to teach me this lifestyle like Philip lived. I think Philip lived this for the rest of his life. He's the one person in Scripture called Philip the Evangelist. And he's a person who learned how to listen to God with his eyes wide open. And he just noticed people. And so I was learning this. I remember going to this uh, group called the, the Science of Churchology. Like, People are spiritually interested, but they are into everything you can imagine. And this was the science of churchology. The guy who ran it had a white collar. I asked him who he was. He said, well, I'm Messiah. I said, are you playing with me? He said, well, yes and no. So, yeah, he was playing with me. And uh, he had a little community of spiritual seekers. And I saw one woman there, and she just looked sad to me. And I just asked God, what's going on? And I just had this sense. And, you know, here's the deal. You don't have to be, like, some of you know the Pentecostal or charismatic wings of the church. You don't have to be that to listen to God. That's just an everyday Christian thing. All the way through scriptures and in lots of our lives. And I just asked, Lord, what's going on with her? And I just had this sense she has a broken heart. And so I just went up to her. I said, you know, I just... God's given me like a heart for you. And I just have this sense God saying to me, you know, you have a broken heart. And she started weeping. And who knows if it was God nudged me. Maybe she just looked really sad and I thought, boy, I've looked sad like that when I had a broken heart. But it connected. Her boyfriend had dumped her the night before. She was shattered in pieces, lying all over the ground. And at that moment, I just said, hey, can I pray for you? And here's the amazing thing in our culture. Almost everybody takes prayer for them as a sign of care for them. A group of you just went down to Revive, Texas, in Dallas, and went around asking people for a couple of days, can I pr- what could I pray for you? And found out a lot of people would share their life story if you just asked if you could pray. Now, now I'm not saying be socially awkward, but I'm saying build a little trust, and often we can ask people if we could just pray for them. That's a wonderful way to bless them. And I remember, I just said, can I pray for you? And I started praying for her. And I felt like God was leading me, that God wanted to put her heart back together and saw how she'd been used by men and, and uh, that God just loved her way more than that and she was worth way more than that and that God wanted to heal her and bring her back to himself. And, and she just absolutely lit up. And with tears in her eyes, she said, I came a thousand miles to hear that. Because I'm telling you, people are so hungry for good news. They're so hungry to be blessed. People can't wait. So begin with prayer. Both how we listen and also how we respond to people. And then, secondly, ask good questions. I remember 
Uh, I wrote my first uh, book. It was called Evangelism Outside the Box, New Ways to uh, Experience, uh, New Ways to Help People Experience the Good News, and I wrote it at Einstein Bagels. I spent five hours a day over a couple-of-month period at Einstein Bagels, and before I did it, I asked Kara Brady, the manager of Einstein Bagels, I said, hey, can I write a book here? And she said, oh, sure, sure, go ahead. And then I said, wait a minute, Kara, before you turn away and get back to your busy thing, I want you to understand what this means. I'm going to come in every day and buy one cup of coffee. Whenever you have it, it'll be the chocolate macadamia nut coffee. And I'm going to get one bagel with cinnamon. It'll be a cinnamon sugar bagel with strawberry cream cheese. I'm going to do that every day. I'm going to walk back to that corner. I'm going to plug into your power. I'm going to sit there for five hours, and I will probably drink seven or eight more cups of coffee. And I tell you, you can even tell. There are parts where the book I started, I just, because I drank too much coffee, right? But I, I, I wanted a Warner. And she thought about that for a few minutes, and she said, Okay, if you thank me in the book. <laughs> so I did. I brought the book into her. I said, thanks to Kara Brady, who let me, you know, eat my one cinnamon sugar bagel, my coffee, uh, drink my coffee for hours on end. I really appreciate it. She read that. She said, ah, I'm famous. <laughs> I said, I'm not famous. You're definitely not famous, but I'm really grateful. <clears throat> Well, she took it to her manager of Einstein Bagels, who took it to his manager, who took it to the president, who, by the way, is not Jewish, who took it to the national meeting of managers, flashes the book Evangelism outside the box to everybody and says, hey, let me read you something, read the acknowledgement to Kara Brady, then said, now that's customer service, and I'm going to get a copy of this book for every one of you to reinforce the message. <laughs> Woo! And she told me he did. I, I, you know, it was a little uncomfortable because I wrote the book while at Einstein Bagels, while I was trying to bless people. And so a few of them showed up in the book, and they all read it. So I would come in, and one Don behind the counter said, hey, on page 95, you say this about us. And I thought, oh, good, okay. <laughs> That's fun. But one of the guys there was Sam. And Sam had a Muslim dad and a Baptist mom called him a Muslist, didn't know quite what to do. He was alcoholic. He had a lot of struggles, but he also had a lot of broken trust. And he came up to me one day and he said, Rick, I want to know if you're one of those guys that thinks you're right and everybody else is wrong and you have the only way to God. And everybody looked up. And I found out later, I just did it at the moment, I kind of punted, but I found out later it's actually what Jesus often did. Instead of answering, I asked a question. More than half the time Jesus is asked a question, he responds with another question. And Sam said, I got this cousin who's got this big Bible, like twice as big as this, and he beats me over the head every time I'm with him and tells me I'm going to hell. And if you're one of those guys, ah, you know. And I said, oh, you don't want to know if Jesus is the only way. I didn't say this part, but I realized that's not your question. Your question is how am I going to treat you if you don't believe what I believe? And I realized, wow, I can bless Sam. And that is going to make all the difference. So I answered his real question. And then we had a Bible study about Jesus. Very powerful. Could it set us free if we, re, if we kind of reimagined evangelism not as buttonholing or 
you know, telling people how bad they are so they can be excited that they're forgiven or any of that stuff. I mean, sure, they got forgiveness is good news. But it's not the only part of the good news people need to hear. It's a part they need to hear at some point in their journey toward Jesus. What would it do if this congregation became a congregation more and more and more? You already are. More and more and more that saw evangelism as blessing everybody in your world and in your space. It's Pentecost, so I'm going to end with just a comment. Uh, I I just... Boy. I'm going to pray the comment. I, I just prayed. I often pray for churches when I go, and I just say, God, is there anything you'd nudge me to say? And I'm just going to pray it. So let's pray. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful that you were good news to us and, and that you helped somebody in our lives communicate good news to us and that we know you and that we can be filled with your Holy Spirit. And that we can have forever with you, but we also have your power to change and to be different and to be good news. Uh, And Lord, we thank you that you call us to bless people. Lord, just loose this church in blessing people. Blessing communities, blessing friends, blessing, blessing bosses, blessing co-workers. Lord, I just pray you will drill. Bless, bless, bless down into the hearts of everyone. And Lord, I pray for this church. As I listen to you about this church, I just had a a deep sense that uh, it's a church that loves you. People are, they genuinely know you and they want to follow you. I had this sense that it's a church of excellence and well-organized and, uh, boy, all the theology is solid. But I also had a sense, it's sort of like one more thing the people of God here need. And that is this Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit uh, that is sometimes kind of a little bit messy. Can't fit in all the boxes but that you want this place to be a place that bears great fruit. Organized, excellent, orthodox, but also full of the Holy Spirit. Listening to you, following you, and bearing great fruit. And so, Lord, I just bless this church in your name, and I ask that we might be a blessing to all in our lives, for we pray in your name.